0: heathens i'm jess i'm eliza and this is the witchery podcast episode six yay <laughs> before we get into episode six um we just wanted to thank everyone out there for actually listening to our wee little podcast um and giving us excellent reviews on all the different platforms and just reaching out and sending messages and sending love like we're feeling it it's amazing it's it's really really great
1: it's such a lovely love fest right now on instagram on twitter and we're getting some lovely reviews on apple podcasts on Podchaser. it's just it's so nice and thanks guys and so shout out to pinky pod who's been in touch this week and left us a lovely voice note on anchor hello pinky pod hello to the insanely dangerous retro pod show hello to the horror project hello everybody who's been listening it's just amazing we love you guys we do and just keep the messages coming we love the chats i'm absolutely loving all the fun times on instagram right now posting up lots of funny pictures and and chatting to all of you so yeah keep 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 in touch we're loving it
0: on that note um episode six (laughs) i'm really really excited about this one i'm thrilled about your
1: choice for this week i actually screamed When you told me what we were doing, (laughs) I was
0: so excited. So, this week we are talking about one of the the best vampire movies ever Um, Dracula, Bram Stoker's. Bram Stoker's Dracula. (laughs) If I can actually speak, it would be fucking amazing. Bram stroking
1: Dracula. Interesting. Yes. There you go. <laughs> that's the porn parody. No, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> the, poor, the skin max version. <laughs> <laughs> Bram Stroker's Dracula. You know, that's probably been made. You know, that's probably on YouPorn or PornHub or one of those things somewhere. There will be oh, Abram, a Bram Stroker's Dracula.
0: A Stroker's Dracula. Yes. Now we're doing Stoker's Dracula.
1: Woo. <laughs> <laughs> With, Actually, only one so with only one art. With only one art. Disappointing. I thought there was going to be some lovely kind of parody action of Mina and Dracula in some Skin Max-esque scene. But no, sadly not.
0: <laughs> well, if you want to watch that kind of movie, I think that's a different kind of podcast. I think it is. I think you've <laughs> come
1: to the wrong place. <laughs>
0: <sighs> okay, so we're going straight for the jugular with this one um oh i love your puns what a
1: good pun straight for the jugular
0: can't resist a good pun it's the the writer in me coming out <laughs> um okay so apart from the fact that e, it has your future husband in um, yeah why hasn't he proposed it god damn it i know keanu if you're listening eliza's waiting
1: been waiting since I was about five come on <laughs> this is ridiculous now you know this is this has been a long time hurry up where's that ring
0: yeah this movie is great on so many other reasons um apart from the fact you know that it's got Keanu yeah so it was released in 1992 I did the math it is 29 years old oh wow Dude, oh wow we work with people who are, are younger than this film. We do.
1: <laughs> That's, we do actually work with people who are younger than this film. Oh my goodness. There are proper writers and designers and artists operating at a high level that are way younger than this film. I know. It makes me feel really old. Yeah. I don't like that.
0: No, I, don't I don't like, like how films
1: it. from the eighties and nineties really age us
0: now. <laughs> no, but they're still classic, and this one still stands. I re- rewatched it last night. I think you rewatched it too, right?
1: I did. I did. I rewatched it with one of my friends last night, and um, yeah, it's held up. It has held up over the years. It never dates. It doesn't date, does it?
0: No, it's it's so fantastic. The colors, the cinematography, the story—it's beautiful.
1: It's like art, isn't it? It is like a beautiful piece of art, a really beautiful, you know, beautifully shot film. It's just, it's gorgeous.
0: Well, that's probably why it was nominated for an Oscar for Art Direction. Oh, was it? Well, it yes. deserved it. So the screenplay was written by James V. Hart. It was based on Stoker's nineteen, sorry, 1897 novel, Dracula. It was directed by none other than Francis Ford Coppola. And um, it has a seriously impressive cast, as mentioned, Kiana Reeves. Um, it also has Winona Ryder, Gary Oldman, and Sir Anthony Hopkins. Oh, the movie what a uh, so fantastic. It won a few Academy Awards. Um, it won the Oscar for Best Costume Design, Best Sound Editing, and Best Makeup, and it was nominated, as mentioned, for Best Art Direction and it really is just a fucking beautiful film.
1: It's very rare because a lot when you watch a lot of vampire films, they're brilliant ones like the Hammer horrors and things and they're very lurid, very very colourful, but there's something about this one that it's it's very otherworldly. It's got a very it's the Victorian vibe obviously is is brought through beautifully. It's and it's but it's also got Oh God, my brain's sort of not working today. It's got a slightly surreal vibe on top of that. So it's got the traditional Victorian, you know, late Victorian, very late Victorian style, but there is a slightly surreal with the armor, you know, his armor in the opening scenes, the big Mm. bouffant dresses. There's something slightly on top of that that sort of gives it a different edge, more of a surreal edge.
0: Yeah, it's definitely got that. I mean, obviously, like we said, the late Victorian era, so um, heavy Gothic vibes. But it's just, it's like the best um, description that I've read for it was a operatic gothic story, um, extravaganza. And I think that just sums it up quite well because it's so extra and so just out there and amazing and just beautiful.
1: It is. It's like a fever dream.
0: Just like a fever
1: dream. It's just, it's stunning. Stunning, and you feel like you're sucked into the world when you watch it. It's what I felt last night, and I think I felt it as a child watching it. You feel almost part of it, and it's an odd, ob- thing. You don't talk. Me and my friend, we didn't talk. Whereas normally we chat nonstop through horror films, mostly laughing, like Frank and Hooker, which we watched later on. Jesus Christ, that was just nonstop chat and <laughs> laughter because that film is genius. But no, but during during Dracula, it's you just it's it, it is like watching opera. You're just silent. You're watching a piece of theatre.
0: It's pure escapism. Mm. Um, and if you haven't watched it yet, you need to pause this podcast right now. Go find it and watch it immediately. Not to avoid the spoilers, but because what the fuck have you been doing with your life that you haven't actually seen this masterpiece yet?
1: <laughs> have you just been watching The Simpsons eating <laughs> junk food? Are you just watching trash TV? Get, get, get on Netflix. It's on Netflix, isn't
0: it? I'm not sure about uh, the South African Netflix because it's not on our Netflix. So maybe oh, it's the on the side. UK one. Yeah, but it's it's still worth it. Go find a copy, go watch it. Yep. Do it. It's great. Okay. So the movie starts off in 1462. Okay? The Ottoman Empire successfully captures the uh, after the Ottoman Empire successfully captures the city of Constantinople, um, a defender of all Christendom arises in the form of a Romanian knight from the Order of the Dragon a certain drugula Dracula, i can't pronounce it but the same romanian flair that they do in the movie dracula's beloved elizabetta thinks that the turk forces have killed him and she jumps off the balcony of the castle to a death driven mad by the grief of losing his beautiful bride and can we just take a moment here to actually also just appreciate how beautiful minona rider is She is,
1: I know that in one of the documentaries we'll mention later, Francis Ford Coppola got it completely right. He said she's like Snow White. She is Snow White. She's just perfect.
0: She's beautiful. She really is just beautiful and a superb
1: actress. Oh, stunning actress. So many different characters, so many kooky, weird, brilliant characters over the years through to some very, very, the Age of Innocence. Have you seen her in that? Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, as May, she's perfect. I love her.
0: Me too. Huge, huge, huge crush on on Brino- Winona. Wow, I can't speak. <laughs> Not what? that I ever can. Whenever we record this stuff, I just get all tongue-tied.
1: <laughs> no, neither can I, though. I do have some very odd <laughs> pronunciations. Like, I got massively told off, again, for saying Sarandon, Chris Sarandon, instead of Sarandon. I'm like, well... He's hot. I don't care, but it's, it's Sarandon. <laughs> it's Sarandon. No, but it, no, I've been the same. And, and with, you know, she's, she's Lydia from Beetlejuice. She's, she's uh, Veronica from Heathers. She's just fucking awesome. She's iconic. She is. The woman's iconic. She totally is iconic.
0: Um, so anyway, so his beautiful bride kills herself. And because she committed suicide, she is now cursed forever um, Dracula is obviously quite upset. He then, um, renounces his faith and renounces God and like does this whole weird ritual thing, drinks blood and is cursed.
1: Yeah. Cause his blood just appears, doesn't it? It's weird. It just suddenly starts pouring out of everywhere.
0: It does in such a over the top dramatic fashion where there's just blood spurting everywhere. It's, and so, so much, so much blood, so much blood, but so well done. It's
1: eerily beautiful. It's, it's
0: grotesque, isn't it? Like this blood pouring
1: out of all of these chalices and stones and, and angels and cherubs on the walls, but it's just gorgeous.
0: We're going to fast forward a bit to, well, the film fast forwards at least, to the late Victorian era. In 1897, to be exact, we meet a young attorney named Jonathan Harker, played by the astounding Keanu Reeves. He travels to Transylvania to help an old count out with some land stuff. Um, pretty much, there's a count who wants to buy some uh, real estate in London. So we learn that the previous chap doing the work had some weird, weird weird illness, goes a little mad. It's all very vague. We don't know what happens to him. Totally not us at all. After a trip that can only be described as harrowing, Mr. Harker arrives at Dracula's Castle, which is based on the real-life Bran Castle in Romania, by the way. Um, Isn't it? Ooh. It is. How how cool is that? Very. And um, he helps Count Dracula with the real estate business and experiences some seriously creepy stuff. And I'm not just talking about the ancient count creeping over Harker's fiancee Mina, um, her photograph. Dracula believes that Mina is his long dead wife Elizabetha that he's been waiting four centuries for. Oh. The story, like how how a like how tragically adorable is that
1: it's a proper true love that just crosses oceans of time to find her getting the quote in
0: isn't that that whole tagline for the movie as well is that love never dies
1: oh i love that i just love that because it's so true as well true love never dies True love never dies. There we go.
0: That's it. So the story pretty much follows how, um, follows Dracula as he stalks Mina travelling to London in a box of soil. The infamous vampire hunter Van Helsing, which is uh, you know Professor Abraham Van Helsing that is, played by the amazing Sir Anthony Hopkins comes into the picture. Firstly to help Lucy who's been infected and then to help Harker rid the world of the Nosferatu curse that is Dracula once and for all. So that's a pretty high level attempt at spoiler free what the movie is about um if you haven't watched it go watch it there's a lot to get into like i could like we could do a whole series just on dracula but no time is not on our side so i've tried to keep it as short as possible (laughs) it's brilliant no that's the perfect synopsis so there, like as we discussed there are so many breathtaking scenes Um, It really is operatic and gothic and excessive. Those first few minutes where you see the um, impaled soldiers, the bleeding cross in the church, Elizabeth throwing herself off the balcony, Dracula in the throes of despair, it really is operatic.
1: And this wonderful, dramatic narration by Anthony Hopkins, so he's sort of narrating the events as they start, you know, with Elizabeth falling into the the mists of, you know, how many god miles below she falls into when she drowns amazing just listening to his dulcet tones as all of this action happens
0: it's fantastic such an epic opener it really is so while researching i couldn't find anything spooky that happened on set um i did find some cool facts about the movie though i will link the full list in the show notes awesome What I found was that Coppola wanted the movie to look as real and authentic as possible, so he didn't want CGI at all. The effects are all practical effects. The things like um, the green mist that was achieved through double exposure. The only CGI in the film are the blue flames. Really? I didn't know that. How cool is that? If you hear a bell tinkling, it's one of the goblin children.
1: I was just going to ask what that is. I was like, oh my God, the bells, the bells. (laughs) Yep.
0: No, Duchess has a, a she's got a toy and she's decided that now is the perfect time to play because there is no rest with goblin children in the house. She's probably excited that mummy's talking about Dracula. I think so. I mean, who wouldn't? I know, it's such, she watched it with me yesterday, so... She obviously loved the movie so much that now she's oh! celebrating by reading a bell.
1: She's thrilled. She's like, Yeah, mama, I'm going to talk more about Dracula.
0: Um, Kiana and Wynona might have actually been married on set for like For Real Z's. I love this story. It's so, so weird. <laughs> it's so, it's amazing. So, Kovalev brought in a real Romanian priest for the marriage scene to make things more authentic. And even though, like, they were acting and you know, not like actually wanting to get married for real. The fact that they were like, it was an actual ceremony performed by an actual priest. They were actually married. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think the priest actually realized it wasn't supposed to be a real
1: wedding? (laughs) Did he think like, Oh, this is nice. They're just filming a wedding. Did he know what was going on?
0: I don't know. It's a good question. I wonder if he was innocently like, Oh,
1: this, these two people are getting married. Then it would definitely be a hundred percent authentic. Because he could have just crossed his fingers behind his back. (laughs)
0: Like they do in Robin Hood,
1: Prince of Thieves. (laughs) Like I crossed my fingers behind my back. It's not really happening.
0: Yeah. Like, I wonder what he was thinking. Like, damn, this is a a big setup for for a marriage of just two people. Like, you know, so many cameras for just this. It is Keanu and Winona, though. Come on. Two of the
1: biggest stars at the time and still now. Do you think he knew who they were, though? Probably not. Because if he was a a priest, he's probably kept very much away from. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bill and Ted <laughs> and Heathers <laughs> you never know he could have been a Beetlejuice fan you don't know who isn't a Beetlejuice fan though to be to who isn't or a Point Break fan I mean he must have watched Point Break who hasn't seen Point Break
0: <laughs> so there's two more facts that I'm going to read read out um, it was also Winona who got Coppola inter- interested in the script it was originally supposed to be a made for TV movie um, Winona Ryder read the script loved it so much Thought it had to be an actual movie. Took it to Coppola, who also loved the script, and there you go. Big screen, big budget. I had no idea about that at all. How cool! I mean, it would have been a completely different movie.
1: Well, it would. We probably wouldn't have seen it. Probably would have been one of the, you know, lost in time, millions of TV adaptations of Dracula that are forgotten. My goodness, exactly. I had no idea. Exactly.
0: Coppola's Dracula also has a few lines from the Todd Browning adaptation. The one starring Bella Lugosi, most notably, I never drink wine. Oh, I love that line. And Gary delivers that beautifully. Perfectly.
1: I never and drink
0: wine. With that little smirk, that like yes. inside <laughs> joke. I love it. It's so good. While filming, there was a river of blood that flowed through the Sony backlot. Like, how? What?
1: Yes. I kind of, I'm half thinking, gross-eyed freak and half-thinking, I want to dive in. That sounds cool.
0: There was a, It was thick, viscous, and terribly crimson. The gallons of blood flowed from the soundstage where they were filming, along the main street, and all the way across the studio. Just another day in Hollywood, apparently. And this um, this is what um, production designer Tom Sand said when he was driving across the Sony back lot on his way to work on the movie. It's awesome. And also, I really want to know which scene that
1: was from because there's the scene when Mina gets completely... Co- well, the you know, Elizabeth rather, gets covered in blood at the beginning when, he dis- when her dead body gets covered in blood when he turns away from Christ to the devil. And then there's that scene... On Lucy's bed, you know, when she basically finally becomes a vampire and dies, her yes. blood just erupts. Her just bed, sorry, everywhere. just erupts with blood. I wonder if it was one of those or is it something else? I'm trying to think. So, well, there was so much blood in that film.
0: There was so much blood. Anyway. But I mean, if you think of that opening scene where, where Dracula um, renounces God and in, in the chapel, there's just so much blood streaming everywhere. Like we said earlier, out the fucking cross, out the cherubs on the wall, just everywhere. Raining blood.
1: It's It looks amazing, though. Because when I was cutting the trailer, I was going through those kind of scenes, and I was looking at it like... Is it weird to think that this is just stunningly (laughs) beautiful? Like it's actually gorgeous cinematography, but it's blood pouring down the walls.
0: Oh, it is gorgeous cinematography um, in a gruesome, morbid kind of way. But I suppose that's (laughs) why we like it so much.
1: This is why we're doing this podcast. Let's face it, we are the kind of people that we don't just look at pretty fields and think, oh, we look at rivers of blood and go, "Ooh, isn't that nice? (laughs) Day out Um, in the park. A, a day out in the park, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it would be for us. Would be the equivalent of let's just bathe in a river of blood, like Elizabeth Bathory. Well, hey, she was supposed to not age when she did that, so maybe we should get a bit more Elizabeth Bathory um, isms into our our life. Maybe maybe sh- there should be a cosmopolitan article about her her beliefs.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure, like finding a thousand young uh, virgins to to slaughter. <laughs> you know, it's easy nowadays. <laughs>
1: Can you
0: imagine how impossible that would be. <laughs> particularly in London. Good Lord.
1: Um, Yeah. No, I I think we just stick with retinol. Just stick with Uh, retinol. Yeah,
0: I think it's cheaper. I think it's easier. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, It was also rumored that uh, Gary Oldman was actually drunk when filming that razor licking scene. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) Oh, that's not the time you should be drunk, is it?
0: No. Well,
1: that was a blunted razor, surely, though. That couldn't have been a sharp razor.
0: Who knows? Who knows? But mm. it is—it is a very um, memorable scene, yeah, um, for a very good reason, and um, it gives you that creep factor, and it's—it's it's perfect.
1: That but one yeah. of that scene actually kind of freaked me out more than a lot of the throat ripping out scenes. There's something about using a razor blade on his tongue that really, even now, just makes me
0: ugh, yeah, feel right. really uncomfortable. It is, and that close-up of it and how it all happened, it's just, mm-mm, no. He was crazy during that time, though, because he was breaking up from um,
1: the other brilliant actress, uh, Leslie Manville, he was married to, who he yeah. had a little
0: boy with. And apparently he was drunk on set a lot at the time, and he's actually also um, admitted that he had a, a bit of a um, dependency issues. Let's put it oh, in poor a guy. PC way difficult isn't it I'm going through a divorce
1: and something like that particularly when you're playing such a dramatic wretched character like the Coppola version of Dracula I'm not going to say Bram Stoker's Dracula (laughs) but the Coppola Vlad Dracula hybrid
0: um yeah it must have been quite grueling actually it must have been it must have been and he is I mean he is such a he's such a great actor when it comes to him like living his characters
1: um, but do, do you think he lives them a bit too much? Because I've heard stuff about his behavior on set of Dracula that made me go, hmm. And now I love, I love his performance and I'm thrilled he did it. And whatever got him to that place, I think worked brilliantly. But if you know some of the stories about what he did.
0: Was he set. a little bit too much of a, a method actor? little bit too much, constantly
1: <laughs> arguing with everybody, causing fights. And there was a scene in that documentary that you're going to mention later on, the making of, of Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, where Anthony Hopkins, who is, let's just say, a seasoned pro, the man has been around for years and was talking about how when he was a younger man, you know, he would be get quite, you know... F- Aggressive with a director if he thought the scene was going to go a certain way. And he said he just looked at Gary Oldman and he's like, Yeah, just you just go to work and you learn your lines and that's it. <laughs> just Lust, get on with it. Yeah,
0: I, I remember that that line. It was like, Oh, shade has been thrown. Shade has been, th- oh, major Hopkins shade. Ooh. But yeah, I think he was when you watch footage back,
1: he's arguing with a lot of people. And there is that thing about him and, and Winona Ryder not really seeing eye to eye and that yeah. awful thing about what Coppola
0: said to her because apparently like they weren't they weren't exactly friends they hate they despised each other on set
1: Mm. they're friends now though apparently which i through me i read recently that they actually got really close in the last few years well good for them yeah it's great but maybe because he's not you know he's sorted out his his issues bless him he went to recovery maybe that helped a lot as well
0: must must be must be so good for him for working on himself more people. But I didn't like that Winona
1: Ryder story. If No. Any. No, I don't like that that Winona no. Ryder story. That makes me quite upset thinking about that Winona Ryder
0: story. That she was such really a does. young actress. So Coppola basically told all the other male actors on set to um, basically be mean to Winona and say like really awful things to her. And Keanu Reeves and Anthony Hopkins were the only two who actually refused which like, I respect them even more for doing that. But yeah, they basically wanted, well, Coppola basically wanted the, the actors to bully Winona. And it really galls me that from the
1: mention, I mean, we're just sussing this from, from the way Winona phrased it. She didn't come out and outright say it, but it sounded like Gary Oldman and Richard E. Grant went for it. Yeah. And Keanu and Anthony Hopkins wouldn't.
0: I mean, really, gentlemen of the highest order. Agreed, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Um speaking of Keanu we also we can't not talk about Dracula with and as much as like Keanu is amazing and he can generally do no wrong but that accent
1: <laughs> oh, as a Brit even as a tiny child watching that on VHS for the first time <laughs> I remember going what <laughs> is that supposed to be? And I was in hysterics. I was really young watching Dracula and I was just laughing. And I love Keanu. I mean, Really, I will not say a bad word about him apart from his accent in this film. You're not saying thinks I remember it's the one line that sticks out. I brought him there to Carfax Abbey. It's the one way he yes. says this line. I brought him there to Carfax Abbey. I can't even do it. And I'm it's, British. I can't even do what he it's, was doing
0: with his life. It's so-, it's so bad. It's so forced, and the stress on on like the wrong place, and yeah, it's just it's such a bad accent. It's such a bad accent. But uh, we love him. Though. We still love him. And
1: like- oh yeah, endlessly, yeah. endless devotion for Kiani, but it just it was just ridiculous accent. <laughs> but he's lovely though. He's just oh, he's perfect.
0: He really is. He really is. <laughs> um, do you have any other weird um, facts about the movie? <sighs>
1: Not much, so much facts. Is just a thing I'm completely obsessed with about the film is the Aiko Ishiko. Oh, can I can now. I want to pronounce this properly. Aiko Ishiko, Ishiko, the designer who did all of the sumptuous, stunning clothes the for the whole film, all of the costume for the films. Yeah, because basically, when Francis Ford Coppola basically was given next to no money, he hired. Oh, I just bashed my pop. <laughs> Bashed the pop filter. Um, he hi- I got so excited talking about the, the costumes. Um, he hired the designer to basically elevate the film
0: oh, and, and to kind of
1: lift it because it really he they does. didn't have enough money. It does. It's just like it they were revolutionary. These costumes. They were stunning.
0: Yeah. So, um, but he he won an Academy Award for for costume design and rightly so because it's so they're just so fucking beautiful. They stunning. are superb
1: ah Aiko Ishioka right there we go I I finally got there I I apologize to anyone who's offended by that I um should know better actually considering I've worked for a Japanese company and have a lot of Japanese friends so sorry guys for getting that wrong um I should I should know what I'm doing but there we go there I was talking to my friend Steph hi Steph um hey Steph the other day about the costumes actually just via we're talking via text about them and sending each other photos because i'm saying <laughs> this is what we're doing the podcast on and it's funny that out of when you see a lot of films as a child and you know you take them with you into adulthood and some of them you will want to rewatch and some you don't and dracula is one that we've both constantly re-watched as adults but also these costumes they you never forget them i can remember all even obviously i've, I've seen the film many times but the, the images are so clear. Every detail of the dresses, every detail of his armour, every detail of that big red silk cloak that he wears, you know, the sort of kimono mm. around the home. You remember all of these costumes. They, they stay in your mind and they've become b- highly iconic for horror anyway, for horror culture.
0: They're, they're, and they are all beautiful. Those dresses are amazing. Although I remember when we had a, a very brief chat about um, Dracula and you're like, oh, that red dress. I'm like, what? Red? dress i did forget the red right dress but i do have a memory like a fucking sub so that is sacrilege dude i know i know the diamond
1: um, dancing dress
0: that's like <laughs> the uh, tears turning uh, to re- diamonds re- re-watching and i was like oh fuck i'm an idiot <laughs> i blame motherhood and lack of sleep yeah
1: i i i agree with you there <laughs> that's the effect
0: you're allowed you're allowed oh. And very last fact, before I actually forget, so even though the movie is called Bram Stoker's Dracula, do you know there is a reason why it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula, apart why is from the that? fact that it's supposedly based on the book. Um, <laughs> it clearly isn't. Why is that? Why is that? Because the um previous adaption of Dracula already existed that they didn't own the, own the rights to, and Coppola went and um. The writer wanted something that basically stood um, out and stood apart that could be differentiated from all the other versions of Dracula. Oh, I get that. Well, yeah, because you have
1: the Bela Lugosi, then you've got all the Hammer Horror. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a lot of versions of Dracula. Blackula yeah. as well. Awesome. I love Blackula. Um, I love Blackula. It's amazing.
0: And Scream, Blackula Scream. But yeah, it's that's interesting. I didn't know that. So no surprises, the film is based on the book. I mean... It's kind of in the title. It kind of should be as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We don't want any of these fun, you know, little phony, weird adaptations. No, no, no. We want a real adaptation.
0: Exactly. And it's one of the few movies that are actually quite close to the book. Um, So let's actually get into the book. It's an, Dracula is an 1897 gothic horror novel by Irish author Bram Stoker. Um, it introduced the character of Count Dracula and set the stage for a lot of vampire fiction to follow. The book tells the story of Dracula's attempt to move from Transylvania to England so that he might find new blood and spread the undead curse. End of the battle between Dracula and a small group of people led by Professor Abraham van Helsing. Stoker based Dracula's castle in Brown Castle, which he hadn't actually visited, but he'd seen pictures of our researching Transylvania.
1: Oh, that's cute. So just it's sort of sparked his fancy, as it were.
0: And it is a beautiful castle. If you've seen photos of it, it is. Oh, it's like-
1: stunning. I'd love I'd love to go. I do think you and I need to do a pilgrimage.
0: <laughs> a pilgrimage over do. there. We definitely do, and we need to go to um, Wallachia as well to uh, Priory Castle, which is um, Vlad's castle. We'll, we'll get there. I'm jumping ahead.
1: Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll I'm so excited. As well. <laughs> There's so, so much nice. happening. <laughs> and we can plan so many trips around it as well. It's amazing.
0: Yes, when COVID eventually decides to fuck off. Oh, hopefully soon. Coppola's film, as mentioned, is a very close adaptation to the book, um, but there are some major differences. Most notably, the love story between the Count and Mina. That was something that they decided to add in. Originally in the book, uh, the Count doesn't actually fall in love with Mina, but it was added in, and it just adds that extra... And the fact that um, Mina is his reincarnated wife, Elizabetha, it just adds that gothic love story to it, which adds another element and lifts it up. It's, it's beautiful.
1: It's like, a, and I mean this in a, a complimentary way. It's like a one of those Victorian Gothic melodramas that you yeah. sort of need. Uh, you need that romantic heart to it because the book itself, Dracula doesn't love anyone. Dracula is very yeah. well, obviously, he's very very cold, and Mina yeah. hates him in the book.
0: She yeah. hates him. This just adds a, a like a level of complexity to the character of Dracula, where he is so full of contradiction. Also in the book, at the end of the movie where Dracula is stabbed, um, in the book, the knife kills Dracula. In the movie, it's Mina that kills Dracula. And that ending, by the way, was a suggestion by George Lucas. No, really? Yes. How coo- that, that just blew my mind. So um, Coppola showed George Lucas like a thingy of the film, and he was like, well, it would actually be really cool if um, Mina beheads Dracula like that would add to the story. And it kind of does if you think about it. It does, because it's the the
1: idea of her, you know, giving peace to her long love, long, you know, lost love through the ages. But also it's a woman taking charge. Exactly. It's a new era of actually women being able to beat these beasts. It's not all about the men saving us. We can save the
0: men. Exactly. And what what I loved, what I actually appreciated watching it again for like the millionth time last night, was... (laughs) As Mina's going into the church with, uh, with Dracula, Jonathan kind of like holds the other heroes back saying, no, like she needs time to do what she needs to do kind of thing. And that trust that he has for her as well is just um, something that I didn't really pick up on before.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? It's more like a leveling out of the, the battle of the sexes, whereas you see Lucy, you know, basically being f- much much more of a voracious character than she is in the book with these male suitors that she's playing. And, and, you know, she's more in control of that and they're in awe of her. And then you've got Mina and Jonathan and their relationship that's threatened by Dracula, but she sort of ends up solving the issue, which is great.
0: It really is. And considering that this movie is like, what, 29 years old? Head of the time. Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, it was before the Buffy series as well. I'm going to back to Buffy again. Obviously, I don't think it was before the Buffy film, but it was before the Buffy series. So it's like a woman taking out a vampire. Bring it on. I can't remember when the film came out. The one was Kirsten Swanson. Kirstie Swanson? Kristen Swanson? I can't remember her name, but she was the first Buffy.
0: She was the first Buffy. That was that was a great movie. It was. It doesn't, doesn't get the um, appreciation it should. Anyway, we shouldn't be talking about Buffy. So the book wasn't an immediate bestseller. It was widely praised, though. Sherlock Holmes author, Arthur Conan Doyle, wrote to Stoker saying that, I wrote to tell you how very much I enjoyed reading Dracula. I think it is the very best jo- story of diablerie, which I've read for many years. I don't know mm-hmm. if I've pronounced any of that correctly, but fuck it. Sounds um, good to <laughs> me. Sounds good. The book didn't make Stoker much money, though, and in the last years of last year of his life, he was so poor that he had to petition for a compassionate grant from the Royal Royal Literary Fund.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
0: His widow was forced to sell his notes and outlines of the novel at Southby's auction in 1913, where they were purchased for a little over two pounds, the equivalent of 198 pounds in 2019. You're joking. That is, it's tragic. I mean, this is a book that basically defined a whole genre. And poor Stoker actually didn't really get to en- enjoy any of that success, really. Isn't that the way it was, though,
1: with some of those finest works of literature? I mean, literature. I mean Keats died thinking he was a failure. Keats. How can John Keats have died thinking he was a failure? But it, it's so many stories like that with these novelists or poets. It's really, really fucking tragic.
0: It is terribly fucking tragic. There was the unauthorized adaption of the film in 1922 by F.W. F. um called An Osperato. Oh, Fantastic boy. movie.
1: Fantastic. Mm. Max Schreck, isn't it? Max Schreck. Mm. Yeah, it's an Osperato. Fabulous.
0: And he's so... Creepy, like perfectly creepy, gives you like such a, an e like an uneasy feel to it. Watching it, I love it. um But anyway, so Stoker's widow was um, understandably upset because, like as mentioned, it was an unauthorized adaptation. So she took them to court. Oh, good for her! I don't blame yep. her. After nineteen thirty one, that's when the Ted Browning version of Dracula came out. Stoker's book has never been out of print. That's good. how amazing is that? Its impact on the horror and vampire genres and sub-genres sub- sub- wow, cannot be understated. Um, a lot of what we assume as part of vampire lore and mythology is actually thanks to Stoker. Um, stories and myths had existed before, but it was Stoker that actually took the idea of the vampire and made it consumable to the mainstream. I love that. We all know that this podcast is about the horror behind the horror. And having a movie based on a book isn't actually that horrific. So what is the horror behind the horror? If you didn't already know, which I mean, I know you do because you're like, it's one of your favorite movies. So of course, you know, the real horror behind the horror. Um, the Dracula was based on an actual person.
1: <laughs> a
0: bastard,
1: quite frankly. <laughs> Just a total, I mean, yeah, we'll get to it. But a total bastard.
0: Well, a few actual people. Um, the very first one we'll get into very briefly is Henry Irving. So Bram Stoker worked, from, worked for Irving from 1878. And it's actually widely believed that Stoker drew a lot of his inspiration for Dracula from Irving. Oh, yeah. I'd say
1: 100% of it. It's, I think it is completely Irving. When you read about Irving and then read
0: the book, it is. It's so much homoeroticism. Ooh, so yeah. much going on. So much. I mean, Stoker's uh, biographers actually said that Irving was like a god to him; that it was like the greatest love of his life. Well, yeah, and it was very much, wasn't it? Very a manipulative relationship.
1: So he ordered Stoker, he invited him over from Ireland to work with him in London, and then pretty much ordered him around to get him to do everything like a dog's body. Ridiculous! Such a brilliant man like Bram Stoker being subservient to this grandiose actor. So that
0: he actually just reading a little bit about Irving, he sounds, but he sounds a bit like a narcissist, to be honest. And it's so easy for people who are nice people are generally taken advantage a lot by by narcissists. So it it could just be that. I mean, a lot of people said that Irving was self absorbed, that he was profoundly manipulative. I mean, that's all hallmarks of a narcissist. It is, and an actor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: no no i agree wholeheartedly it's just it's horrible when you read up sort of background information on on henry irving and and bram stoker and you sort of really how he disregarded stoker and how he spoke after he read dracula for the first time really like it was a piece of trash just really cold callous selfish obviously i'd say quite jealous of stoker yeah i would say Never met them. I was born what, over a hundred years after them. But, Are but, you um, sure? Are you a vampire? You're, you're secretly a vampire, aren't you? Oh, I, I re- revealed too much. I revealed too much. <laughs> I will keep quiet. <laughs> oh, I wish I was a fucking vampire. Honestly, it'd be great. Never never wrinkling. <laughs> never having to worry about wearing retinol at night.
0: I was about to say save a fortune on, on retinol cream. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now that that's the thing with, with this, um with the whole Stoker and um Irving and Dracula and and everything else. I mean, he drew heavily, heavily from he drew his inspiration heavily from Henry Irving, um, for the book. And mm i mean like you said you can pick that up without a doubt um and what's quite interesting is that that wasn't the that wasn't really where they pulled a lot of inspiration for the movie then the movie they took a whole different route which we will get into a little bit later it's and, interesting
1: that actually because for a, a beautifully gothic sumptuous victorian feast that the film is it's not very victorian in the characterization of Dracula or in some of the characters there's a medieval quality is more there not?
0: definitely mm. more of a medieval quality. And that's that's fine. I mean I love a medieval story as much as another person. Um and mm-hmm. I think it's also worth worth noting that um as 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 close an adaptation to the book that the movie is, it's still not a hundred percent true to the actual book. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: it's gorgeous it's wonderful it's not very similar to the book in practice no as much as people say it is it's not no
0: we've discussed how awful Irving was and busted. we've also bastard, bastard narcissistic see you next Tuesday but he, he wasn't really the only person that that inspired the film as mentioned and that's not the person that we're really going to take a deep dive into because there is another person who is just so much more c- considerably like immeasurably more horrific than Henry Irving and this person has actually been like his story is so intermingled with the 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 legend and the mythology behind Dracula that we kind of have to go into Vlad the Impaler. (gasps) Pokey pokey spiky spiky boy.
1: Yes he loves a poke. (laughs) (laughs) He loves a good poke. I mean, really, Vlad is basically, just, I love the beginning of the film is basically just Vlad poking people. So you immediately, know, it's like, oh, okay, this isn't Victorian Gothic. We're going full on. You're stealing from Vlad the Impaler now. Exactly. Henry Irving is from Bye-bye.
0: Exactly. It sets it up right there in the beginning where you see those those opening scenes. And also Vlad's armor, um, there's like, there's, you could could see all of that, that's medieval. You could see the, 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 like the Turkish influence in there as well. Um, There's the mention of the Order of the Dragon. And you can see all of that. Now Vlad did some truly, truly fucking horrific things. So I thought it would be a fun one to actually get into. I agree. I love that.
1: Well, I, I don't think you can talk about the film Bram Stoker's Dracula without talking about Vlad, considering that's basically the character they put in the film. It's like it's just Vlad, just Pretty Vlad with, with some vampirism,
0: well, but romantic Vlad, romantic Vlad. Yes, yeah. not. But but I, I think like the actual Vlad maybe was not as romantic as Dracula in the film, though. To be fair, oh, was he not? Oh, you're going to no, tell me more. Aren't but you? we'll we'll, hmm. we'll get into that. But, yeah, we'll get into that. Let's get into Vlad the Impaler. Not the way that Vlad liked to get into people, though, because that's just gross.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really don't want you to start impaling me, please, through the power of the internet. I'm really, I'm quite tired. It's been a long week. I don't need to be stuck on a pole in a field somewhere, bleeding out. Thanks. <laughs> oh, my word. Get stuck in. Get stuck in, eh, Vlad? <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. He did get stuck in. He did. He did. And boy, oh boy, he, he, he really got into a whole lot of people. So, <laughs>
1: the whole of Carpathia from the <sighs> it. Bloody hell.
0: The whole of Wallachia. Wall- Wallachia. Vlad III, or Vlad Tepes, Prince of Wallachia, was born in fir- 1431 in Transylvania, modern day Romania. He is actually a national hero in Romania, believe it or not. See, that gets me. I've heard that before and I don't understand it. <laughs> when
1: you know what he did, you think, eh? it's a bit like people who vote for Boris Johnson today. You're like, well, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? People who voted for Trump, are you insane? I suppose people are. Blinkered.
0: Oh, blinkered, definitely. And um, like, he was just a real piece of work, but he was a brilliant military leader. He pretty much eliminated crime, poverty, and he... Brought about more social equality than had ever existed before in Romania. He basically did away with the feudal system, but his methods weren't exactly along the line of sunshine, sunshine and rainbows and warm and fuzzy feels. There was a reason he earned the name Vlad the Impaler, after all.
1: Oh, here we go.
0: We have to go into a bit of of who he was and and his history and stuff, so you get like the full context of how he ended up being who he is. So his father was Vlad II. Dracul, the ruler of Wallachia, a principality located in the south of of Transylvania. Vlad II was given the surname Dracul after he joined the Order of the Dragon, which is a Christian military order sworn to protect the Christian lands from the Turks. During this time, a Turk invasion was a pretty real, almost constant threat. Uh, Dracul actually means dragon, but in modern Romanian, it also means devil, which is where Stoker get the, got the inspo for the name from.
1: Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just dragon, but I think that's because I've seen so many films. It's, it's actually pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Dracul is is devil in, in modern Romanian, so that's quite interesting. I like so it. So Vlad Dracul's son would have been um, Dracula, which means son of Dracul. Oh, so that, right, I get it. So that's where the, actually, the Dracula came from. Exactly. So Vlad Dracula is Vlad, son of Dracul. Love it. Um, we don't know for sure who Vlad Third's mother is. Possibly is Vlad II's wife, but I mean, there are concubines and mistresses and all types of stuff around that time. So we don't actually know. It's never actually mentioned or stated. Wallachia was actually a pretty sh- important strategic piece of land at the time. I mean, this is like, during the crusades and shit, So it's at between, the the piece of land sat between Christian Europe and the Islamic lands of the Ottoman Empire. And it saw a lot of battles um, because the Ottoman forces tried to push their way westward into Europe. And it was a bit of a gateway when it came to the Christian crusaders who were either repulsing invasion attempts or marching through on their way to the Holy Land. So Vlad and his little brother Radu at this point had a very relatively standard childhood. Um, for the time, at least, they we weren't like impaling was... people at this point. No, not yet. No <laughs> murdering. No murdering yet. Um, right. There was like you know constant war happening everywhere because everyone wanted bigger kingdoms. But of um... course they did. <laughs> <laughs> it was the time of I want your land. No, I want yours. Woo! Let's go to war. Yeah.
1: Oh God, I'm just gonna impale you and get what I want.
0: Well, if it works. No, don't
1: impale people. Don't go around impaling people, guys. If you're listening to this podcast, we are not 100% not promoting impaling as a way to fix an argument. (laughs) Never
0: impale. Never Never impale. Put the stake down. (laughs) Vlad and and Radu were educated by the best tutors in things like foreign languages, combat and mathematics. But things changed dramatically, though. In 1442, Daddy Vlad was invited to a diplomatic meeting with Sultan Murad II, who was the ruler of the Ottoman Empire at the time. Oh, this is not sound good. No. So Daddy Vlad took his two sons with him, young Vlad III and Radu. The meeting wasn't a diplomatic meeting at all. It was a trap. (sighs) All All three of them were arrested and held hostage. Daddy Vlad was allowed to leave as long as he left his sons behind. Now, I have read different accounts of this, though. So that's one version. Another version says that um, Hungarians had actually ousted Daddy Vlad as the ruler of Wallachia he went to the sultan to ask for help. Mm. And the sultan agreed as long as his two sons stayed behind. Either way, his sons stayed behind in the Ottoman court as, as a form of collateral while... Daddy Vlad goes back to get his. That sounds weird saying Daddy Vlad, but it's just so fucking Oh, I quite like, between, it. <laughs> between no, the two I like it. I
1: think it's good. I think that's just Wilkes <laughs> carry calling him Daddy Vlad. Daddy, Daddy Vlad. Sounds good. Daddy Vlad. No, so, what, but what a tough. It's a bit like Sophie's choice, isn't it? Like, do I stay here with my kids? Obviously, she had to choose between kids, but, you know, he's leaving both of them. But that's not a good feeling, is it? Leaving your children as hostages.
0: We don't actually know what like what was going um, in, on in his mind at the time, so we went there. But he basically chose his throne over his son. So, like He's two a bastard, young kids, basically. Yeah, you, two young kids. They're being abandoned. On the upside, though, even though there were hostages in the Ottoman court, they weren't treated as such. Oh, that's um, good. The the Ottomans believed in treating their hostages very, very, very well, um, and the reason for this was. When they grew up and left and got their freedom, they would return to their lands, have positions in high power, and would still be loyal to the Ottoman Empire. So very shrewd.
1: Very shrewd. So we'll keep them fed and watered and treated really well so they don't hate us, but we've got control over them. That's some some Machiavellian thinking right there.
0: Right? So they have all these alliances. That's a long game. That's a fucking long game. So the boys received the best education along with other children from important Ottoman families. (laughs) I looked (laughs) at other hostage children, other kids kept hostage, Jesus. As well as the Sultan's own son, Mehmed II. Oh, okay. Um, So yeah, they were like friends with the Sultan's son, but anyway, so they were tutored in science, philosophy, and the arts. Vlad also became a skilled horseman and warrior. The two boys responded very differently though to life at the Ottoman court. Raidu, by all accounts, thrived. He pretty much accepted his new life. Vlad was less than enthusiastic, and he resisted. He was withdrawn. Oh. He was moody. He was sully, sullen. Sorry, and as a result, he got into trouble quite a lot. He was tortured, mm. and he witnessed other people being tortured. Oh,
1: and you do then think, well, why did he become a serial killer warrior? Did he witness
0: it? Oh, yep. Yeah. So he was pretty damn young when he was forced to witness the violent execution of a lot of the sultan's enemies. And by all accounts, he became very fluent in the art of torture during this time. Oh, I mean, this is a- making a murder, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. So
1: th- I'm not talking about the Netflix show I'm talking about. This is how you make a murderer. Oh, my goodness me.
0: So apparently, Vlad resented his little brother, Radu. He grew into a very good looking, charming, and popular young dude. Um, he was known as Radu the Handsome.
1: <laughs> I really love that. That sounds like such a high school jock name, doesn't it? Radu the Handsome. It really does. Uh, you have
0: Vlad the Impaler and Radu the Handsome.
1: <laughs> if you were going to go for one of two brothers, if you're like, okay, I'm going to be set up in marriage, you're definitely going to not go for the Impaler. You're going to go for the Handsome.
0: Yeah, I'll take the Handsome. Thanks. Right. Puberty, on the other, on the other hand, did not really treat Vlad as kindly, though. as if it couldn't get worse for him no he was shame he was uh, apparently a lot shorter than his brother and not as good looking but anyway Mehmed the second I knew a hell of a lot about torture so there we go he made (laughs) up
1: twinks and roundabouts (laughs) oh Jesus
0: so Mehmed the second took notice of Radu and pursued him Um, eventually Radu actually became Mehmed's lover he converted to Islam he also wait um, sorry
1: what he became Mehmed's lover
0: yeah Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. Love it. Oh, I like it. A little so, bit yeah, of homoeroticism. Yeah, Radu was that good looking that the, the sultan's son could not keep his hands off of him. Oh, yeah, but that fits well into
1: Dracula. We'll talk about that later, the homoeroticism of Dracula. So that fits yeah. in quite well.
0: I like. Yeah, and eventually Rydu actually uh, later, at a later stage, became an official part of the Ottoman court. Oh, good for him see he he
1: got in a situation and he made it his own he sorted himself that's good yeah like go problem solved. It. yeah go get uh, your man go get your empire just do it
0: Just radu the handsome up. there you radu go the handsome making shit happen but vlad on the other hand was not exactly as thrilled about all of this i mean he was essentially abandoned by his father um, his brother chose the enemy over him um, and he'd been exposed to some really horrific, violent things all before the age of 16, which has all got to have like a really lasting impact on a developing brain. Just
1: I didn't realize he was that out young. There.
0: Yeah, he was that young. What the fuck? Tell her. Yes, hi. <laughs> I just heard the meow.
1: <laughs> Such a cute little Meow. <laughs> they they want to hear about Dracula.
0: They do. Are you also excited to hear about Dracula, Tilla? I swear, these cats like every single every single evening we try and record. The cats make a make
1: like have to be a part of the podcast. Yep, yeah, I think we should we should just invite them in, I make think a so? welcome thing. Yeah, why why why, should, why put a cat out? No, keep them in. They're great.
0: Yeah, we should. Yeah, they are. They are part of. They are part of. They're part of the Witchery podcast crew. They are goblins, How uh, um, goblins. In 1447, when Vlad was 16, the boyers, which are local royal, warlords, ousted Daddy Vlad, ruler of Wallachia, and Vlad. killed him.
1: <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Okay, I was <laughs> laughing about Daddy Vlad. And he's been murdered.
0: Oops. And he's been murdered. Um, this was actually orchestrated by um, a Hungarian dude called John Hanyari, who enlisted another guy called Vladislav II. John, Vladisl- what are you doing? John <sighs> John going around murdering people? Bloody John. Uh, Vladislav II enlisted the help of some Wallachian aristocrats. Murcia, Vlad's older brother, was tortured, blinded, and buried alive. <sighs> so yeah, lots of, lots of really awful stuff happening there. The sultan backed Vlad, who reclaimed the throne, kicked the boyars out of Wallachia, but Vlad's first stint as ruler... Didn't really last that long. It lasted like a month. As soon as the Turks left, the boys returned, and Vlad was ousted. So the story of Vlad the Impaler is actually quite a long story. I'm trying to give you like the high notes here. So there's a lot that happens. Vlad goes to Moldavia. He stays with family. He then flees to Transylvania after his uncle is assassinated. He actually oh forms my God. A- everywhere he goes. <laughs> people are just being butchered very traumatic life very traumatic life yeah. there's so much that happens and it is such a fascinating story i'm gonna link a whole bunch of resources if you're interested in reading more Hell we only yeah. haven't like we could do like we could do a whole entire fucking podcast just on dracula and then just on fucking vlad the impaler but oh yeah we don't have that like we're limited to an hour self-imposed hour i suppose we could you know, go on oh, and on and on but talk you know, as long as you want Vlad, um, after his uncle is assassinated, he actually goes to Transylvania and he forms an unlikely alliance with none other than John Hunyadi. So the guy who caused all the problems
1: in the first place and basically got his
0: dad killed? Mm Mm-hmm. He's the the guy who orchestrated all the events that led up to Daddy Vlad's death. Same guy. So you're going to
1: go and work with the guy who basically killed your dad? What a shitbag! bag! Well, That's not things- loyal. My you, dad did leave him in the Ottoman Empire. So exactly. Like,
0: yeah, got to balance,
1: the, balance that up.
0: And things between Hinyadi and Vladislav weren't exactly peachy at the time anyway. And I suppose the whole enemy of my enemy is my friend thing rings true. They were always switching their allegiances. They weren't, they like, oh, you've helped
1: me with this. Great. But actually, I'm going to try and kill you now. And I'm going to go and talk to this person. They were always doing that.
0: Bloody, bloody time in history. Vladislav was attacking Hunyadi's border. Um, He'd also buddied up and formed an alliance with the new sultan of the Ottoman Empire, Mehmed II. Vlad's childhood friend and Radu's lover is now the sultan of the Ottoman Empire. It's like one big soap opera and you need like a murder board just to keep track of who's aligned with who. It, and they're constantly changing.
1: It's like just oh, you're my best friend this week. It's like nursery. Oh no, you're my best friend today. I hate you today.
0: Yep, it's just bunkers. It really is. Mehmed was a brilliant military leader. So you know that whole like small little blip in history, the whole fall of Constantinople. Oh yeah, yeah. He was behind that. That was him. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Oh dear me. In 1456. Hinyadi sent Vlad to Wallachia with a small army. Vlad killed Vladislav with his own hands and he got the revenge that he was after for so many years for the death of his father and brother. Go Vlad. Yeah, go Vlad. Like, yay, woohoo. Vlad uh, reclaimed the throne and became ruler of Wallachia. And then this is when things actually start to get, well, a bit rougher. And oh a lot more R-rated. <laughs> what, more? More murdering? More scheming? More. But the, the how the murder and the scheming, like, happens, changes. Oh. oh, goodness me. So to celebrate his victory, Vlad invited all the aristocracy to a, bank- to a banquet.
1: Why do I feel this has got Red Wedding Game of Thrones vibes? And I'm not even a Game of Thrones fan, <laughs> but I just feel this has got Red Wedding vibes.
0: Yep. Well, you know, Vlad is not exact, well, we know that Vlad is vindictive and out for revenge. And these were the same aristocrats that I almost said aristocats, like this isn't a Disney movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be a great crossover though. Dracula and the aristocats. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'd love to see that. Vlad and the aristocats. I would totally, I would totally. (laughs) That's another one for us to make. Listeners, (laughs) Jess is copywriting that. That's for us. You're not doing that one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah so he invited them all over to a banquet it wasn't exactly happy fun times though oh at least for the ar- aristocracy if you're a Vlad though it probably was happy fun times the, the aristocrats were okay though yeah they, they were fine they were the- fine great no cats were harmed in the, the making of this <laughs> podcast yay <laughs> oh, good that's made me feel better the people who were too old or deemed too sick they were impaled on the spot oh wow that's a bit
1: Extreme. <laughs> That's a bit discriminatory, isn't it? Like a bit Whoa. discriminating against the aged and the, the people with disabilities. Yep, F- fuck you.
0: Gonna impale you. already oh, Well, in his mind, though, because, you know, they weren't, they couldn't be used. Oh, my word. Let's just get rid of them now. That Nanga- sounds like the Tory
1: government. There we go. He'd have been a great Tory, Vlad. He'd have been a great Tory.
0: <laughs> I, I have a feeling, though, that he probably would have roasted a lot of people by now. Anyway. <laughs> let's leave it at that so the younger fitter members of the aristocracy were immediately enslaved and forced to rebuild his castle once they'd finished they were put to death out of this not only did vlad vlad get a new castle but he pretty much got rid of the entire nobility decimated the feudal system that had existed for a couple hundred years and uplifted some of his peasants some of the, the peasant population like he created some more like a more equal social order which I find quite interesting. It's quite that's, gruesome, but it's quite quite interesting.
1: Talk about dichotomy, though. Geez, I mean, you're sort of taking with one hand and giving with one hand, and impaling with the other, effectively. Exactly. That's um, mm, that's a he's a complex
0: character. Very complex character. So now he wanted to get rid of the. Uh, the aristocracy, because these are the, the people that helped betray his father. But he also wanted to create a more efficient system for his benefit. The peasants were all given land, they were lifted up. And this wasn't from the goodness of Lad's probably cold black heart. But because he wanted their loyalty, he also needed soldiers. Because remember, like, this is Middle Ages. There's fucking war everywhere.
1: Get yourself an army. That's like yeah. rule number one of medieval hijinks. Just get yourself an army. Doesn't matter who you are. Could be a farmer.
0: Get an army. Army. Anything will do. He also eliminated poverty by doing this. Another way he helped eliminate poverty was getting rid of all the beggars. He saw beggars as a strain on people who actually work. And how he got rid of them was he literally got rid of them. He burnt them. <gasps> oh my word, that's savage. He invited them to a feast shut the doors of the building, and burnt it. So you kind of see where Game of Thrones guys got the
1: inspiration. This is horrendous. Genuinely, this is absolutely horrendous.
0: Oh, but wait, there's more. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, God. What now? <laughs> so crime went down. but Oh, because he probably butchered everybody. That's exactly. the way to,
1: to reduce crime. Just murder everybody in sight
0: exactly exactly people too shit scared to do anything um actually like i'll link to the podcast that i was listening to it's by um it's dictators by podcast and they do mm-hmm. a two-parter on on vlad the impaler and it's actually quite interesting they mention a story where a merchant who was traveling through Wilachia actually stopped um and stayed at his castle and dad was like no, no 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 like it's cool like leave your wagon and all your shit there in this in the town hall like it's fine it will be safe no one will take it Apparently the next morning when the merchant went back, he was missing some gold. Mm. So he went to, he went to Vlad and he was like, cool. Like, like someone stole my gold. Vlad was quite upset, ordered the people to be found. He ordered his soldiers to put some of the gold back plus, plus an extra coin. When, the merchant actually went back to like when he went back to his his cart he found the gold and he found there was extra it was like very confused but he went back to Vlad and he was like look like I'm so sorry like um it must have been my mistake I'm so stupid I found my gold and I also found like an extra coin like what the fuck's up with this and Vlad was like well it's a good thing you told me about the extra coin because if you didn't I would have you know thought you were a thief and I would have executed you along with the, the actual thief
1: Wow that's insane. Talk about test of
0: uh, honesty. That's that's insane. He had a very weird sense of right and wrong.
1: <laughs> While he's impaling and burning people.
0: Good god. Yeah, yeah but he, people like that that that's the hypocrisy, isn't
1: it? Somebody's moral compass they, they think they have a a very straight, you know, moral compass and actually they're the fucking worst lot of them.
0: Exactly. Like um, a politician. Like a politician, yeah, he was a just a raging um, psychopath. But anyway, Vlad despised infidelity, especially among women. Um, if a woman oh, che-
1: especially among women, so among women. not as much among men. His own gender,
0: interesting. If a woman cheated on her husband, she'd be put to death or have her breasts cut off and <gasps> then fed to the other man. What? Um, so wait, as- wait, 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 sorry, sorry.
1: <laughs> her breasts would be cut off and fed to her lover yes that is fucking mental it's fucking twisted i've never <laughs> heard that before about vlad and that is that is proper barbarism oh good oh my word couldn't you just you know <laughs> thank god for divorce courts now <laughs> sort it out in a court don't chop someone's breasts off
0: That's
1: go, um, oh, oh god
0: So, as grace as the whole love story in the movie Dracula is, it's not really historically accurate when you take that into account. Because remember, Dracula seduces Mina, and Mm -hmm. um, Mina isn't actually impaled. If we went the completely historic route, it would be a completely different movie. Oh, here we go. Because remember, Mina was actually married, right? Yep. So, anyway.
1: Yeah, he'd be like, oh, he's
0: cutting her tits off and eating them.
1: This is terrible. <laughs> this is like the slashes we were talking about last week. Cutting the tits off. It's just like <laughs> a <slasher> movie. <gasps> oh my word. <laughs> it's like he got inspired, either spy the French series Spiral either got inspiration from Vlad or Vlad just time traveled forward in time and got inspiration from Spiral. Oh my word. Oh good God. <laughs>
0: But wait, there's more. Oh, no. What else <laughs> did he cut off?
1: He didn't cut anything of the man off, I noticed, though.
0: That stays on. That we know of. That we know of. Oh. He'd impale basically anyone. Like the people who he thought were stealing, the people who crossed him, the Turk like, soldiers, anyone he would just impale um, after after battles with the Turks there would just be forests of dead bodies scattered across the landscape. Isn't
1: that terrible? And it's not like it's their choice to go to war anyway. It's never a soldier's choice, really. If they're in that, particularly back then, they wouldn't have had any choice. They would have had to have gone, that's terrible.
0: Vlad's fascination with impalement and torture extended to rodents and birds. What did they do? He couldn't get hold of humans. He was a prisoner at the time. He was betrayed by Covinus. Covinus was Hunyadi's son. When, when Vlad was a prisoner, Hunyadi um, had actually died. Covinus betrayed him. Vlad lost a battle against the Turks. covinus uh, took him as a prisoner. And while he was prisoner, he was actually, he, he was just, he needed to impale something. So he would impale rats and he would pull the feathers off of birds. Because he just had
1: to torture. He was like, he just, oh, I need yeah. my daily torture fix. Get me a rat. Exactly. Oh, my gosh.
0: And also, just by the way, like, it was after battle, like, when he lost it against the Turks, um, just before he was taken prisoner. It was then that his first wife committed suicide by leaping off the balcony of their castle.
1: Ah, so there is an element of truth in that.
0: Yeah. Right. Eventually, Vlad was freed again. He wanted to get his throne back. There were a lot of more battles against the Turks. He was a very shrewd, very clever, very brutal military leader. There were a lot of people impaled. Vlad actually did quite well. He used ambushes. He also used a bit of germ warfare. So, what he'd do is he would send plague sufferers into the um, enemy camps, hoping to cause an outbreak.
1: Oh, wow. He's just, he's thinking of all the angles, isn't he? How much torture can
0: I cause? Th- let me think um, of, let me count the ways. So eventually Sultan Mehmed II put all his focus on getting rid of Vlad. Um, I wonder why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, hasn't tortured enough people and, and shoved it, stakes in their bottoms for for a few days. Oh my God.
0: There was a vassal, Vlad was eventually killed. His head was sent to the Sultan. It was preserved in honey. And it was displayed. Wow. In glass, obviously, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Amazing. So, despite not that,
1: the whole- <laughs> not that I'm, I'm saying that's a great idea. <laughs> to get your enemies and chop their head off and put it in honey. I'm not suggesting people do that when people piss each other off. But, you know, after everything Vlad
0: did, eh, I don't feel it's too bad. Of it's kind fitting. It's kind of fitting in. Don't feel too bad. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's the story of Vlad the v- Impaler. Oh my
1: word. And I suppose with um, Bram Stoker and having worked in theater myself and knowing (laughs) how vampiric people are in the theater world, he would have seen a hell of a lot of energy drainers, a lot of very egotistical, very, you know, self-centered people like Henry Irving. And they are the perfect sort of characters to really sort of to to influence a character like this. Agreed. I love the Henry Irving aspect cuz he was such a bastard such a bastard a cold nasty bastard like basically using bram stoker like renfield like dracula and renfield relationship like the bram stoker and henry irving relationship and that's so interesting within the novel how that's mirrored the real relationship he had with irving
0: you can see where you got the yeah you can see where you got the inspiration for for that yeah. from
1: it's amazing Blad eh. God,
0: what a guy, what a guy,
1: not a man you'd want to meet if you were hiking through the Carpathian mountains, (laughs) not a man you'd want to stumble across,
0: not a man whose um, dinner invite you'd want to accept,
1: (laughs) you don't want his invite for dinner, God knows what you'd be served up on your plate, you'd be served up probably, (laughs) that would be the problem, (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, and I learned from the best segments, read Bram Stoker's Dracula, listen to Dictators. There's the two-parter, as mentioned, on Vlad the Impaler. Watch Cinefix's Bram Stoker's Dracula, What's the d- Difference? It actually, it's, it's quite fascinating. It goes into the difference between the novel and the movie. Oh, wow. um, It's really good. good. And it's it's short. Bloodlines, the making of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, it is on YouTube, but we will link it anyway. Oh, um, such a
1: good documentary. I remember watching that as a child and just loving it. I watched it over and over. It's so cool.
0: There are a hell of a lot of books to read on GLAAD. Um, I'll link some of them. I haven't read all of them. And then the Obscure Film Club. <music> this week's Picks are all vampy tales that you can sink your teeth into. Mm-hmm. We've got Horror of Dracula. Christopher Lee is the Count as seen in the Hammer Films classic, Horror of Dracula. The film also features Peter Cushing and Michael Goch, and launched a series of films starring Lee as Count Dracula. We have Kronos. You can't have a vampire list without um, Del Toro on it. It's his first feature film. It stars Ron Pullman and Federico Lupi. Cronus is actually a reference to a device that grants long life, though the cost is obviously a thirst for blood. We've got uh, Black Sunday. So, burned at a stake, a vampire witch princess wakes up centuries later with her undead henchman. And then we've got Vampire, which is after Alan Grey in France, strange events unfold. An elderly man leaves a packet on Grace's table and shadows are seemingly alive lead him towards a castle. At a nearby manor, he witnesses some man, uh, the same man being murdered and gradually learns about the curse of the vampire. And last on the list, we have The Hunger. Tony Scott's 1983 movie stars uh, Catherine um, Deneuve as an internal vampire who pits David Bowie and Susan Sarandon against each other for her affections and mortal favour. Beautiful um, film. It's fantastic and it's got David Bowie, so it's of course it's oh, beautiful. It's just I love it. I love all your choices. Love them. Yay. Um, there's so many vampire movies, so many good vampire movies. I want to who's your watch your favourite vampire. Sorry, who's your favourite Dracula? I'm intrigued. Who's your favourite? My favourite Dracula? Mm. Gary Oldman. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I think mine is still Christopher Lee. I just I just love him because he's my childhood Dracula. But next on the list is definitely Gary Oldman.
0: Well, Christopher Lee is still good as Dracula, but yeah, and Gary Oldman. Who's your favorite vampire?
1: Uh, Jerry Dandridge from *Fright Night*. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody comes close to Jerry Dandridge. Jerry <laughs> is the vampire. Oh, he could bite me anytime, anytime. I wouldn't care. <laughs> Who's your favorite vampire?
0: Changes depending on what I'm watching. Um, I've recently just finished binging *What We Do in the Shadows*, the the series. Oh, um, that's so good. Lestat.
1: Oh, he's great, isn't he? We had this conversation, didn't we, the other day about how when we both watched that as children, we both loved Brad Pitt's character. We
0: yeah, both loved, Louis. Yeah. Louis. That's Louis. it, Louis.
1: But then as you get older, it's like hell no, Lestat. Louis just is a whiny bitch. Really, he's a wet blanket, isn't he? Really, like oh, Very shut so. up. Lestat's <gasps> fun. You, I mean, you might get bitten, you might die, but you'd have a right laugh while you were doing he it. Would it would be a party. Opry Party, he's um, great. Tom Cruise, that's probably one of Tom Cruise's best roles, isn't it? He really, he rocked Lestat. He, he just did. ran with it.
0: He did. I need to watch Interviews of the Vampire again. Um, and another vampire that I just remembered that is amazing and needs to be on the list of, of epic vampires, Blade. Oh, um, Wesley Snipes,
1: brilliant.
0: I mean, he's only half vampire, but still, it's, it's a fantastic movie.
1: Oh, it's a, it's a phenomenal movie. Pearl used to freak me out. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, if I carry on eating, I will turn into Pearl. But um, yeah, Blade's amazing.
0: Oh, um, Pam from True Blood. Oh, True Blood was
1: great. Wasn't True Blood just brilliant? And yeah, She was also Eric. I always loved Eric Northman. Was, love a bit of Eric Northman. Yeah. Gotta love stars, I Love father,
0: brother.
1: Oh, you gotta love them both. Love And the father, love them all. Have you seen Near Dark? It rings a bell. Catherine Bigelow 80s so it's sort of they're almost like um I hate to use the word hillbillies but they're a sort of a group of almost hillbilly vampires and a guy um he's just you know he's just left his his father and his younger brother and just gone into town for a night out meets this beautiful girl she's part of a vampire pack all gets a bit crazy yeah
0: I think I have
1: it's brilliant because they use blood transfusion in order to kind of cure vampirism. It's it's interesting. It's, well, it's brilliant. But Bill Paxton in that. Ugh, Bill Paxton in everything he was ever in. Uh, um, insanely brilliant. But no, Bill Paxton in that. Phenomenal vampire. I've forgotten the character name off the top of my head. I do watch Near Dark a lot. I should remember. But his character is, is brilliant. I love his character because he's a total evil bastard. <laughs> total evil bastard. But br- But absolutely fabulous.
0: And Lost Boys, I mean David's a great character. Lost Boys is amazing. Mm. Hmm. now porn. Like what should my Saturday night evening viewing be? Interview with a vampire or Lost Boys? Oh yeah. That's a hard one actually
1: because they're they're both brilliant. I might do you know what? I think yeah, all of them. I might watch Lost Boys actually. That's a nice that's a nice one to watch. There are so many good vampire films. When you look back and think how many have been made that have been really good. The 80s and 90s and early 90s produced brilliant ones. And since then, it's been twilight. Duh. Have you ever seen Grace Jones in Vamp? No. <gasps> How do I not know this? This film, this is one of my favorite vampire 80s ones I've forgotten about. So Grace Jones is a vampire in a strip joint. Um, It's sort <sighs> of like one of these kind of, you know, these uh, very urban-y towns, you know, very grim warehouses and dirty sewers and horrible cafes and things like that and um some kids decide you know they're gonna go on like a, woo, a night out to a strip joint grace jones is one of the strippers she a vampire it's it's brilliant because it's so 80s it's so cheesy it <laughs> but sounds she, she's awesome amazing there's also you know keith hiring the artist he did yeah. a lot of um a lot of the design because basically grace jones throughout the film in points when she's doing her dancing so she does these really weird provocative burlesques effectively strip burlesques and they're so freaky but she does them while body painted with a lot of keith Haring designs that he personally painted on her that's incredible watch vamp guys watch vamp it's great well it's it's awful but brilliant (laughs) what a typical 80s horror just you know so much wrong with it, but who cares? It's stupendous anyway.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was our our episode on Dracula, and Vlad so the Impaler.
1: Thank you so much, Jess. That was I did. I really didn't know most of those details on Vlad the Impaler. That was fascinating.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I just knew we, he
1: impaled people. <laughs> we
0: could like we could have gone into the whole like myth of vampires and stuff like that, but. It it does make you want to complain less about the government when you (laughs) read things like
1: that. You think, maybe actually we're all right. We're not doing too badly. Oh, it's awful, isn't it? But thank you. That was utterly fascinating. And I really want there to be a Vlad the Impaler show or film or something, something visual.
0: Showing all the gory details. Well, kind of, yeah, not all the really theory, way.
1: Not all of yeah. them, uh, no, yeah, not all of them. Definitely, we don't need to see the <laughs> the any insertion scenes. But other no. than that, um, wow. So on that note, um, thank you so much for listening. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jess. That was brilliant. Really was. Thank you so much.
0: Um, and if you want to follow us on social, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast witchery. Um, on Instagram at the Witchery Podcast, and you can send us email using hellowitcherypodcast.com Come say hello. Come say hi. We point by much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went for the juggler again with your puns, didn't you?
0: Yes. <laughs> I, I love the bad pun. I can't help it. So do anyway. I.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of all the jugular get it in the neck pain in the neck so many things we could start saying now but we should give it a rest (laughs) anyway good night heathens good night heathens